0: But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy.
1: Well, it's been an amazing service already, and I feel like we've had enough, we could just go home, except for I've done a lot of work to prepare for a sermon. So uh, we're gonna jump into that. If you weren't with us last week, uh, we kicked off a a new series called Wrong Why, and I introduced a a new framework. It's not necessarily a biblical framework, it's just a framework through which to look at life. And one of the things we said last week is that every day, uh, most of us wake up and we think about what we're gonna do or what we have to do and how we're gonna get that done. What we want out of life or out of this week, or out of this year, and how we're going to actually accomplish that, and and all of our wants are different. You know, some of our wants are are about uh, things that um, we want to make us happy or, or you're looking for uh, to make more money or climb the corporate ladder or you're wanting for more purpose or some of you for, for you it, it's about leaving a legacy you're thinking longer term but whatever that is you have a list of wants of goals of things you want to accomplish or get out of life and then you're you're trying to figure out how do I do that and it, it just makes sense you know you some of you you've learned from other people uh, you, you're you you're, you're like hard workers You you're the first one in you're the last one to leave you have a good plan some of you are strategic, but this is basically what most of our life is focused on. But what we said last week is there's actually something bigger and more significant. There's a driver. And the title of the series gives it away, so there's there's no real surprise. But the, the question is why? The question of, of this series is why do you want what you want? And, and why are you going about trying to achieve and accomplish what it is that you want the way that you are? See, why is about your end game. And it actually not only determines whether what you want is worth wanting or not, but it also determines the path and direction you'll go about to achieving those things. So, so why actually in the end is sort of the linchpin between what and why. And one of the things we said last week is, is big overarching idea of the series is that your why ultimately determines your way. That if you just think about it, this, the reason, the thing that's driving when you, when you ask the question why, what's beneath what I want and how I'm going about getting what I want, when I stop to ask myself that purpose question, that meaning question, that directional question, I, I begin to realize that that's what's driving me in the way in which I'm going in life. And, and for our purposes, one of the things we said last week is a, a wrong why will always lead you in the wrong way, and so one of the things we're trying to do is, is surface wrong whys in this series. And last week I told you that most of our whys in our culture, and this isn't a this isn't a, a bad thing necessarily about you. Um, it, it is a bad thing in general, but most of our whys are driven by ideology. This is just a reality in our culture. And there's all sorts of ideologies. Now, if you weren't here last week, an ideology is just a a system of ideas that shape our cultural norms and values. And if you've traveled internationally, different societies, different cultures have different cultural norms and values. And we have several of those in our society. I talked about a few last week. I want to unearth one of them today. That's an ideology that runs deep in our culture. Now, I just need to say this real quick. Some of you are going to think at the beginning of this that I'm not a patriot, but I am. Like, just hang on with me for a second. Don't turn me off or tune me out. Um, the reality is, is that a lot of our ideologies uh, are, are man-centered. They're human reasoning. They're, they're based on a desire to become autonomous from God. So even things that sound good, things that, that seem like they're, they're, they're worth pursuing or even that they're rooted maybe in the Bible oftentimes turn to something that puts us at the center of them. And that's when it becomes an ideology that that becomes bad. It becomes a wrong why in our lives. One of those, and just hang with me, is this idea right here of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This actually drives more in our culture than most of us realize. Here's the the problem. Um, the, The statement itself isn't a problem. In fact, the founding fathers, what most people don't know, is the founding fathers, most of them had theological training. And there was heavy biblical influence to a lot of the the, the literature, the, the Declaration of Independence, our Constitution. There was heavy biblical influences to those things. And specifically by this word liberty, the way they define liberty was freedom that's restrained by self-control. That's what it meant to the founding fathers. It wasn't what it's become today. It's everybody's at liberty to do whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want, as long as it makes them happy. But that's what you can make this statement say. You see, somehow we've we've taken this idea of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And instead of that liberty being something that is a freedom restrained by self-control, it's become a freedom that's indulged by self-gratification. And I don't need to convince you of this. We see this in our culture all the time. We see this uh, around uh, the across the country, and, and even around the world in some de- to some degree. And last week, one of the things we said was that there are there's an ultimate why to life. If you weren't here last week, you'll have to go back and check on that. Check check into that. It's sort of the macro end game to life. But when it comes to uh, our our different areas of life, different core components of life, we all have a why that drives what we do and how we go about doing it. Now, now today I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about relationships. I'm gonna talk about marriage a lot, but I'm gonna talk about dating relationships. And if you're single, this is incredibly relevant and, and uh, accessible. I'm gonna get to that in just a second. But most of us have a feeling or a desire for romance. You have a desire for deep connection with someone. These are things that are, that are, that are sort of innate in us. You, you, you felt these desires. Maybe your desire is for intimacy, and and the truth is, is we all feel these things to some degree, and they're perpetuated in, in our culture. And ultimately, the way this gets expressed in sort of the fairy tale way is, we all want to meet somebody and live happily ever after, right? Like you, some of you, maybe you've had a bad experience, and you're not so sure. You're not so sure that this is even possible, so you're not really pursuing that. And I get it. We're in a progressive culture. In our culture, we sort of dispel the fairy tales. But think about this. I mean, we we think they're naive, but. When you see the Disney movies, as much as you think, okay, that's not real life, there's something in you that has this desire for this deep sort of connection with someone where you're known, where you're fully known, and and you know someone deeply, and and you feel this deep level of connection with someone that's intimate and meaningful, and you're doing life with them, and that taps into something inside of you that you long for, And, and this isn't going away. Like some of you are going, "Oh yeah, the, the, the statistics show that, that, that the next generation is giving up on marriage. They're giving up on uh, long-term intimate relationships. It's not true. It's not true. In fact, it, it, it's, it's becoming more pronounced earlier and earlier. The, the idea of committing uh, used to be proposals were only for marriage, but now in my house, now that we have teenagers, there's promposals and there's homecoming proposals. You've seen this. And they're elaborate. They're more elaborate than most of our wedding proposals. Like there's just this desire to like win someone over and have someone that you can feel connected with and go to something with and, and, and be associated with. And, and this typically in the past has been reserved for weddings. And I remember my first wedding, I actually, the first wedding I was able to officiate uh, was for my sister. And uh, this was, I was still single. It was before I got married, before actually uh, my wife and I met. And um, if you talk about a fairy tale wedding, um, they had a destination wedding. We all went to Aruba. And if you've ever been to Aruba, it was on the beach in Aruba, beautiful blue water behind us. I mean, it's just amazing, perfect setting, um, but nothing is as it seems, you know? Like, it's like, it's never nothing's, anything's perfect, even though it seems like the fairy tale. During the wedding ceremony, um, I'm standing next to my uncle. Um, my brother and sister and I lost our dad when we were young. So my uncle, my dad's brother, was standing in the wedding ceremony as sort of a father figure. And he was gonna say a few encouraging words and he was gonna pray a prayer of blessing. And this was right before they were gonna exchange their vows. And rings, which I was going to lead that part of the ceremony. And he begins to pray, and the best man who was my now brother in law's dad, he tugs on me and he goes, Hey, I lost the rings. I'm like, You lost the rings. I mean, we're about to exchange the rings and the, the vows. I'm like, What are we? i like, Where did you lose them? He's like, They're in the sand. So literally, I'm on the ground, he's on the ground, there's still other groomsmen, they are like, what's going on? All, the, all of a sudden, all the groomsmen were all down there digging around the sand, and we, truth be told, we found the rings, which was awesome. But it didn't end there, after the, the wedding ceremony, uh, we all got out on this dock, and we were lined up together um, to get a picture taken, and um, we're all standing there, and it looks like perfect and picturesque, a little overcast there, but then... Water's never good. That's not actually my sister's wedding. I just thought that was a really funny (laughs) video. I just want to warn you, if you're thinking about water in a wedding, it's not a good idea. You guys up for one more, by the way? uh, There's all sorts of great wedding fails. Let, Let me just show you this one. I'm not sure why anybody thought this was a good idea. I don't know if that's the groom up top, but if it is, I don't know how he talked his bride into this. I think we need to watch that one, one more time. Okay, I need everybody to be quiet. I need everybody to be quiet. Listen, I mean this is this is ridiculous. You have to listen. The end is like it's terrible. Listen. Shh, 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 shh. That left a mark, I guarantee it. Here here's the problem. The problem is is that usually the most difficult part, even though we've seen the wedding fails, is comes after the wedding. It's when real life hits and it becomes more difficult and sometimes even more painful uh, than even that. And, and, and here's the thing I know, is you've never been to a wedding. I've never been to a wedding. None of us have ever exchanged vows that said, till a change of heart do us part, have we? You've never heard those vows exchanged. But the ideology that, that, per, that permeates our culture, the ideology that drives Uh, our thinking and our desire for relationship and even the picture of what we're supposed to get out of that, it it sort of has this this thought that our spouse or the, the significant other or this person we're building this relationship with is a source or they hold the keys to our happiness. We've either convinced ourselves or let somebody else convince us that as this relationship goes, so goes my happiness. And when it doesn't work out or when we're not happy, we revert to uh, this idea that I I deserve to be happy. I'm entitled to be happy. We're all all entitled to this life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And if you're in the way of my happiness, then because I deserve to be happy, I'm gonna disconnect from this relationship. And, And so what happens is happily ever after shifts from happily ever after to happy even after. Now I just, I just wanna say this for a second. It is true, and some of you have experienced this, that you can be happy even after a relationship falls apart or it, it, it sort of uh, gets destroyed. But it's not the way it was meant to be. In fact, it's not even what you intended when you first jumped into the relationship. But if I pressed a little further and if you were really honest with yourself, for many of us, the reason we got to that place to where we were was because we had a wrong why for our relationships. And the truth was, as we got into the relationship, because we just wanted to be happy. And this person made us feel happy and they made us feel worthy, they made us. they made us feel good about things. And so, because this, this happiness was driving us, this, this ideology that this person can make me more happy or be sort of the source of my happiness, even though you wouldn't say that or put the pressure on them. It's a wrong why for our relationships. And we started out in the wrong way with a wrong why. Now, you need to hear this before we go on. I'm not just saying that if you're in a a miserable relationship or a miserable marriage, you just need to hang in there. You just need to be committed, especially if it's an abusive relationship. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that happiness is a wrong why and happiness will always lead you in the wrong way it's not a good end game for relationships if happiness is your why you're, you're gonna end up in the wrong way. Now, today, uh, we're gonna to see Jesus in, in a rare form. In fact, I, I love this version of Jesus. Not that there's multiple types of Jesus, but like we have four different perspectives on Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today, in the book of Matthew, we're gonna look at uh, a story that, that, that Matthew records about an interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And he, in this interaction is gonna give us a theology. That's one of the things we said last week is that that a right why is to look to the creator and go, what does God think? Instead of man-centered thinking, instead of uh, conventional wisdom or human wisdom, we're gonna look to theology, to look to God. God, what should be the why for our relationships? What should drive us? And Jesus not only uh, lays this out, but he gives us a background uh, on what and why and how relationships Uh, exist. In Matthew chapter 19, and I'll just say this, if you have a device or a Bible, I'd love for you to open it up. I said this last week, um, and we got more now. Uh, A bunch of people took me up on it, but if you don't have a Bible, if you're new to our church, if you're online, um, let somebody know uh, online or at guest services. We have a whole bunch of Bibles now. I'd love to give you one if you don't have one. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 3, it says this. It said, some Pharisees, they came and tried to trap Jesus, him, Jesus, with this question. And and this question sounds absurd to us. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? To which we go, that is a ridiculous question. Like nobody thinks you should be able to divorce somebody, whether it's your wife or your husband, for just any reason. Like it seems like there has to be a good reason. But here's what the Pharisees are are, are bringing up is that that Moses has given an, uh, an opportunity for people to divorce someone. But what Jesus knows is that that, is that that sort of had evolved into a version of no-fault divorce that even our society would reject. None of us would, would support it. And men were given legal power, basically to divorce their wives for virtually any reason. They were like property. And, and what it's hard to imagine is in that society, if a woman was divorced or, or put away from her husband, it immediately put her into poverty, her and her children. And usually they became enslaved to someone else. So this is a terrible thing. They're asking a question of, hey, can't we do this for any and every reason? And and Jesus responds to their question, which is absurd to him, but it's even more absurd to us, with a question. Because that's what Jesus does, because he's so brilliant. And this is the question he has, has. He says, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They're like, yeah, we read the scriptures. That's what Moses said that he made this law and he made it possible for us. And he's saying, no, 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 go back further. Haven't you read the scriptures to our our framework today? Our our framework, because a healthy framework makes our life work. Haven't you looked, not at the conventional wisdom today, haven't you looked into the scriptures about what it says about relationships, about what it says about relationships that last That's where you find your why, the why that you're really looking for. If you wanna know the why that goes back to original design, the original purpose of life and relationships and work, this is where you find it. Jesus asks, haven't you read the scriptures? They record, he goes, he's gonna tell them, they record from the beginning. He's like, I'm gonna take you all the way back to the Genesis account. They record from the beginning. God made them male and female. And he said this, this explains why a man leaves his father notice the language father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now this uh, this account by Matthew it, we haven't it, uh, it was translated from the Greek but he's quoting Genesis chapter 2 and in Genesis chapter two, it's written in the Hebrew language. And the Hebrew word for one that, that gets translated into a Greek word is actually a very complex word, and it's a very rich word. It's not as much translated in, in the numerical way. It's often translated in the Old Testament as unified or connected. It's the word echad, echad. As a matter of fact, why don't you just try that with me real quick? Do you guys want to try and learn a little Hebrew today? You're going to anyway. Okay, here we go. Um, let's just say this together. Ahad. That's pretty good. It, it, you have to really clear your throat. and Some of you need to and you're afraid to because you, people around you might think you have COVID, but I'm going to give you an excuse to. So ready? Let's try this again. Ahad. Yeah, you got it. So, so ahad, here's what's so awesome about this word. Do you know this word that, that's used in Gen- the Genesis account that's used uh, by Jesus, and we're going to see in a few minutes, it's also used by Paul. This root word is a word that was first introduced to us in the Trinity. It's God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. It's in the creation account. It's, it's, it's in the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy that introduces who God is. And it's this unification. It's this connectedness. It's this God that's one in and of himself. And he says, look at the ultimate what for relationships. In the romance and the connection and the intimacy, what you're really after is oneness. This is what you were designed for. You were designed for oneness with another person. Now, you you feel like you want romance and connection and intimacy but those are all indicators of something that you were originally designed to experience and it's the same sort of oneness being created in the image of God that God experienced between himself, God the Father and his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There's a oneness that you were created to experience and in this oneness, this is, there's an intimate attachment. Again, back to the language in, in verse five. He says that, 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 that the, the, the man would leave, the man and wife would leave their father and mother. They would leave a different family and they would be joined together and they would be united. They would be attached to one another in a unique way. You see, in our culture, we define and describe love very differently. We define love more by attraction than we do attachment. And, and we don't have time to go back and look at all this today, but this started in the sexual revolution in the 1960s. Believe it, believe it or not, this is relatively new in human history. Like this doesn't exist, not that sensuality and sexuality didn't exist, but the idea of that being the center purpose, this this idea of attraction, being the thing that drives our relationships. This is a relatively new thing in, in our culture. Most of the cultural messages point to what attracts us to other people. As a matter of fact, the romance and connection that we want so that we can get the happiness that we want, we get it through attraction. Now, this is a message for another day. And I know I've said that a couple of times, but this is complex stuff. And, and I know you're, you're a highly educated audience, so you can hang with this. But here's the thing. This is why people dress the way they dress. This is why people drive what they drive. This is why people live where they live and do what they do. It's because they wanna be perceived as attractive to other people. Now, I I don't want you to all come back to church not having taken showers or brushing your hair or whatever next week. That's, That's not the point of this. Like, that's not the idea. But you just need to know that in our relationships, what we try to achieve is attraction as opposed to attachment. And while attraction is powerful, it's not strong enough to hold two people together. Uh, just real quickly, the, the science of attraction, it's really simple. In fact, some of, so, so many people are trying to go, what actually makes people fall in love or feel attracted to each other or have that feeling, that, that special feeling of love? It's really simple. You know, Science has already figured this out. There's three chemicals in your body. It's ser- uh, dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine. Those are the three chemicals in your body. And, and uh, dopamine is your happiness chemical. Uh, serotonin is your thrill chemical when you feel like this thrill of excitement and norepinephrine is your restlessness chemical and so you experience something uh, that makes you feel happier you enjoy being around somebody and there's this thrilling moment of like gosh I don't know this person but like there's a, we're starting to share life and we're starting to experience something that, that, that's intimate and you find yourself having a restlessness for more of it and when those three chemicals fire in your body guess what? You fall in love, or at least you think so. What's really happened is you've been duped and doped by the chemicals in your body. <laughs> That's what happens. And we call this love. And it's like, no, 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 no. You just had a few experiences that made a mixture of chemicals fire in your body, and now you feel in love. Do you know the number one reason that, that, people, uh, that people cite for, for getting out of a relationship or getting a divorce? Number one reason. I'm just not in love with them anymore. Do you know what they're saying? I'm not feeling it. Something's happened, the circumstances, something's happened in our relationship, and I'm not happy with it. I'm not happy at the moment, or I'm not happy anymore. And there's no more thrill. We weren't as intentional as we were in the beginning uh, as far as adventure was and pursuing each other and sharing our lives together. We weren't as, as, as intentional about that and I don't feel the thrill anymore. And yet I'm still restless because the norepinephrine didn't go away. But I'm restless to get out, not to stay in. Do you know what percentage of couples deal with this? Any guesses? One out of one, hundred percent. Now, if you're here today, you're going, no, no, not us. You're either lying or you haven't got there yet. <laughs> Just ask somebody who's a little further ahead of you. There are things, life, life is difficult. Relationships are difficult. There are moments you're not gonna be happy with somebody. And if, you're, if happiness is your why, when you're not, you've lost your why. But oneness is the ultimate expression of intimacy. The trying to achieve and pursue oneness is is a whole different pursuit. You see, intimacy is achieved not by attraction. Intimacy is achieved by access, not attraction. And oneness happens when we give someone all access into our lives. Now, you can do this inappropriately. You can do this too soon. You can do this when somebody's not trustworthy. you that. But I just want you to think back. If you've ever been in a relationship or if you're starting a relationship or when you, when you first met the person that you're now married to, what you did is you started giving them access into your life. You gave them access into your history as you told them about you. You gave them access to you physically. You gave access to, to letting them in on what makes you tick and your emotions. You started to share your life. You started to give them access to your schedule and to your house. And you gave more and more access to somebody. And what happened is, as your lives began to start becoming enmeshed and you started to attach to someone. That's why Jesus, in the next verse, when he was talking about what, what attachment was, the next verse in, in the Hebrew scriptures, back in Genesis chapter two, Jesus said that the man and woman, they, they, uh, the, the two should become one. The very next verse in the Hebrew scriptures in Genesis chapter two, and again, we, we can pack all of this another day, but in Genesis chapter two, it tells us this. The result of that was that Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Let me make the connection. Don't get weird on me. This is both physical and metaphorical. But the man and his wife, the idea of being naked was there's nothing between us. There's no secrets. There's nothing you don't know about me and there's nothing I don't know about you. And neither of us are insecure about it. Neither of us are afraid. Think about this for a minute. That is what we're all after. We all wanna know that there's somebody who sees everything about us, knows everything about us, and they still wanna move toward us. There's nothing hidden between us, and we're not afraid. Now, as we know, if you keep reading on the story in Genesis chapter three, sin ruined all that. It ruined it between us and God and us and each other. The very first thing uh, Adam and Eve did after they sinned is they did what? They, yeah, they covered up and they hid from God and from each other. And we've been doing it ever since. This is what we do when we behave badly, when we don't do what we said we were gonna do, when we make mistakes, which we all do, we cover them up and we hide. And guess what happens? Things, there there, there becomes things that the person that we're trying to have this intimate relationship with, they don't know about us. We restrict access to our lives. Jesus said, that's not the way it was in the beginning. If you read your Bible, you'd know that in the beginning, that's not what God wanted for you. He wanted you to experience a type of intimacy where there was nothing between you and you weren't afraid, you were completely secure and free to be you. And that's why he said, since since they are no longer two, but one, they've been joined together, let, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Nobody should pull that apart. And not even Moses. I know Moses made a law, but 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 that law ha- had nothing to do with what you've made it into. And, and here's here's why I think Jesus just uh, all illustrations break down somewhere. But but here's what happens. Here, here's what really happens in relationships. Is is there's a guy who sees a girl and he's like, wow, she's she's impressive. Like she's attractive. Um, she's smart. She's uh, successful. You know, she's got it going on. I need to figure out how to get her to pay attention to me, which is not really easy for us guys, but I, I need to try to catch her attention. So she'll want to move towards me or want to spend time with me. So she'll be attracted to me. And guys, some, sometimes a girl sees you and goes, look at his car and his bank account and his hair that I don't have. And look at how sharp and, and, and he's, he's somebody I want to get to know and get connected with. And so what happens is, is they meet each other and somehow they find, they get each other's attention and they begin to spend time together. And they begin to share their lives with one another. And what happens is, is they give more and more access to each other and they spend more and more time and and, and they share more and more of life and more and more of their resources and more and more of their spaces. And before you know it, they've spent all of their life sharing their life, pouring their life into this relationship. And at some point they get married and then life happens. You wanna know what life looks like? you know this, if you have kids, it turns everything upside down. And it's like, this is what life is like. It's turbulent. It's not easy on a relationship. And what happens is, is you mix your lives together. In fact, do you, do you know what the scripture is, how it describes marriage, how it describes intimacy, specifically sexuality. When, when, you, when you mix your life with another person, do you know how it describes it? It describes it as a commingling of souls. The deepest part of who you are gets mingled with another person. And Jesus said, Look, it, it, once this has happened, you shouldn't try to pull this apart. Do you know why? You know why if you've tried to separate this. Imagine trying to separate blue from pink, it's nearly impossible. I mean, we can separate this amount of stuff back into these two two glass jars, but to sift through, I mean, it's an absolute mess. As a matter of fact, some of you feel that way. If that's you today, I don't want you to feel guilt. I don't want you to feel shame. The truth is, is some of you, you've been through this and you know it's not supposed to be this way. In fact, that's your story. It, It feels messy. You would describe it, you'd say it's messy. You wouldn't wish it on anybody else. If that's you, I just want to pause for a second. This this isn't the point of the talk, but you just need to know this. Um, If that's you and you're feeling like, gosh, I missed it and I wish I had heard this talk a long time ago. Where was somebody when I was in my 20s? I feel the same way, but I just want you to know, if that's you today, your messy will never trump God's mercy. Your messy cannot trump God's mercy. If your messy trumps God's mercy, your God is too small. That's not my God. My God has the ability to restore and redeem. The enemy wants you to feel guilt and shame and hopelessness and he's the one that did it to you. He's the one that led you into this. He's the one that led the first man and woman to cover up and hide and restrict access and oneness in their relationship. And he's been working in our world in the midst of relationships ever since. Our God is a God who redeems and restores and renews. Our God is a God of fresh starts and second chances. I want you to hear that today. If you're in that, if you're in the middle of it, if you're on the backside of it, it's not too late for you. God still dreams of this type of relationship for you or for your relationship if it's heading that direction. But the Pharisees, they're like, yeah, but oh, hold on a second, Jesus. Moses, you're, 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 you're disagreeing with Moses now. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? If that's not the way it was supposed to be in the scriptures, why is that? And sometimes I just think Jesus puts his head down. And he's like, God help these guys. I don't know what they're talking about. Do you really want me to answer that question? I don't think, I'm reading between the lines, but I think he sort of wanted, you don't want me to answer this question, but I'm gonna answer it. And Jesus replied to him, this is what he said. Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, there it is. But it was not what God had originally intended for you. It's not what he, what he wanted for you. He didn't command it, he permitted it. He, he accommodated, why? Because he knew life would be messy. And he knew that some of you would have to start over again. You started out with the wrong why and things got so bad that now you needed to to begin again. And God knew that he could begin again with you and it wouldn't be the end. But he didn't command that. He just knew that we were gonna do it anyway. And so he met us where we were, which is what God always does. You see, God's original intent was oneness. And that's our what, and so, if just for if we have a few couple more minutes, I, I want to talk about why for a second. I mean, God wants you to be unified. He wants you to experience what He's experienced in the Trinity, because it's what He created you for. But our question is is really why? We're getting close, but why? Why oneness? And, and why does he want us to experience that? And how do we go about getting that? If you, have, uh, if you want to flip over to Ephesians chapter five, I'm just going to put a couple of verses up here. If you don't want to flip over, write down Ephesians chapter five, you're going to get some homework uh, today. Uh, you're probably like, the previous guy didn't give us homework, but I'm going to give you some homework today. Um, Ephesians chapter five, um, the apostle Paul picks right up on what Jesus was talking about. This is amazing. I love the continuity of scriptures. He takes the Genesis idea. He builds on what Jesus, Jesus says, and he gives us some really practical help about how we go about this. The apostle Paul says, as the scriptures say, because Paul had read the scriptures. Jesus said, don't you know what the scriptures say? Paul goes, I know what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that a man leaves his father and mother, and he's joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. It's that, that idea of chad. This is a great mystery to which we all go, amen. It is a mystery how this works. Uh, Marriage is a mystery for a lot of us. But here's the thing you need to know. It is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Now, this is massive. This is a huge idea. God wants you to experience the same relationship in your romantic relationships, in your intimate relationships, in your marriage relationships. He wants you to experience the same thing that God wants to experience with each one of us. You see, you you may not be super inspired by this, but you just need to know, God has a why for your relationship. And the why is that your relationship would be a picture. It would emulate, it would fall in line with, it would be just like a, a much larger, much more significant relationship in which God's trying to reach out and redeem the whole world. He wants to grant access and connect to the whole world. In fact, in the next verses, uh, this is your homework, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 21 to 30. Uh, the, it talks all about how we, we go about doing this. And, and I already alluded to this earlier. It's about access, not attraction. And this access, what it actually does is this access leads us to True attachment. Now we don't have time to get into attachment theory. Some of you have heard about attachment theory, but this is actually the, the, the social sciences and psychologists have proved this. That this is what you were designed for, this is what you were created for. And there's significant things that keep us from attaching. Part of it is that there's several things that keep us from giving people access to our hopes and dreams and our fears and our past. And, and the apostle Paul unpacks how, how this works. And the, the most unpopular parts of those verses have to do with submission and, 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 and who the, the leader of the household was. And we all get mixed up in that because of the culture wars and the things that happen in our culture. Can I just tell you, I just laugh when I read those verses because it's not at all what it's talking about. Our culture goes, oh, the Bible's oppressive to women. And Jesus was the one who came to liberate women and and to give women and children value. And even in this scripture, the people outside the church wanna twist this, that, oh, submission, this is about about, uh, about, um, lowering and degenerating the value of women. And it's like, that's crazy. As a matter of fact, if anything, it elevates this. Do you know what, it's, what these verses uh, call women to submit to? To submit to the, the, the man in leadership of sacrifice in a relationship. That the reality is, 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 is it says, hey, man, you're supposed to, to relate to your wife like Christ does the church and lay your life down for her. So what you're supposed to submit to is your husband going first in sacrifice. Let me ask you a question. Who doesn't want to submit to that? That's what he's talking about. That's, that's, I, don't, I don't know how it worked. I don't know if it's like eeny, meeny, mime. Okay, guys, you're going to sacrifice first. So you got to go first. You got to lead the way. That's what this is about. And, and, and Jesus going, somebody's got to go first so that access can be granted and relationship can be reconnected. My first weekend here at at. at Buckhead Church, I ran into a couple that I was able to officiate their wedding 12 years ago. And I remember the first time meeting with them uh, downstairs on the first floor uh, in the offices. And I sat, sat down with them. And, and, and the truth is, is, I do this with all couples. So um, if I do your wedding, it won't be a surprise to you. But I usually sit down and like, hey, they're like, hey, we want you to do our wedding. And I'm like, well, we'll see if you want to after this. Um, and, and I'll say, hey, first of all, why do you want to get married? Don't you know marriage is hard? Do you know, one out of two fail. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And they're like, wait, wait, hold on a second. Aren't you supposed to be pro-marriage? Like, I'm confused. This is a church. I'm like, yeah, but you need a good reason why. And I'll ask them, well, why do you want to get married? And most couples don't have a good answer. I remember this couple, they, they did not have a good answer that first time. In fact, it was a terrible answer. And so we ended the meeting and I was like, hey, you're going to have to find a better why. If you want me to do your wedding, you have to find a better why. And so I gave them some homework. I told them, hey, here's some clues. Go off. You need to figure this out. I'll never forget. They were so ma- motivated by that. Matter of fact, um, the wife was the, the one I ran to first in the hallway. And she was telling me about some other people in their lives who relationships that they've seen falling apart, marriages they've seen falling apart all around them. And she thanked me for what I put them through, making them figure out why they wanted to get married. I'll never forget their why. They came in and you know, she's, she's sort of competitive and she's like, okay, I think we got it. I think we got our why. She says, look, this is our why. He helps me discover and live out God's will for my life better than anybody else in my life. And I wanna live out God's will for my life. And I do that best with him. I thought that's a why that's gonna carry you a long way in life. Because you now have to decide you don't wanna live out God's will for your life. You don't wanna be next to the person that you believe God's placed in your life to help you do that best. That's a bigger why, that's a bigger reason. So here's my question for you. What's your why? What's your end game? Because if, you, if it's happiness or attraction or this feeling, these chemicals in your body, when they're gone, You lose your why. And when you lose your why, you lose your way. My guess is some of you today, whether you're single and you've been in and out of relationships, some of you are in a relationship and you're trying to hold on. Some of you are in a relationship but you're wondering where it's going and how do we get to where we wanna go. Maybe some of you are married and You've lost your why and you feel like you've lost your way. If you've lost your way, you need to find your why. You need to go back to the beginning. The truth is, is maybe why you got married was for the wrong reason. That doesn't mean you need to give up. You just need a new why. And if you're single, you shouldn't wait till you get married or wait till you find somebody or meet somebody to do that. You should discover now, why do I, is this in my heart? Why do I want to get married? Why do I want to pursue this? The truth is, if you're in a turbulent relationship or you in a turbulent marriage, this may be what stabilizes it. Getting on the same page about why we're together. I'm gonna tell you why this matters. Do you know they're just coming uh, out of the pandemic, there was a recent study that was done that in this study, uh, it, was, it was done of both Christians and non-Christians, which usually the, 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 the data is about the same, the statistics are about the same. 12% of couples reported they were in a truly happy marriage, 12%. Now if half of marriages end in divorce now I know there's some something wrong with the statistics but there's somewhere around 6% 6 or 7% of people who are truly happy would say they report that they're truly happy. Now do I think this is a coincidence? Not a chance. Here's why. Because our relationships were meant to be a picture of a larger more significant relationship. And your relationship is ground zero for the enemy's attack in our world. See, coming out of quarantine, there's a lot of people asking the question because everything that was there there before, all the tensions, when you get stuck in a house together, it all becomes magnified. And now the pressure is mounting and lots of people are asking the question, why stay married? And you might hear people say, hey, you shouldn't ask that. That's a, that's a difficult question. Like, don't go there. You shouldn't go there. But you know what? I think it's a great question. Because if you can answer that question, why stay married, you'll find your way. The number one request we've gotten out of the pandemic is for marriage counseling. And help with marriage. Help with people that are in difficult relationships. Here's the thing you need to know. Don't miss this. This is the last thing I'm going to say. We're going we're to close God desires a relationship with every single one of you and every single one of us that's characterized by intimacy and vulnerability and security and permanency and loving unconditionally. That's what God desires with us. And the marriage relationship, healthy, intimate relationships is the major metaphor of scripture where this relationship is put on display and the enemy would like nothing more that can continue to erode that picture. You see, this is what God did through Jesus. When he said, somebody's gotta go first. Somebody's gotta sacrifice first. Same as in the marriage relationship. Jesus, just like the man, I'm gonna ask him to go first in the marriage relationship. Jesus, you need to go first and you're gonna sacrifice. And that's gonna give people access to create attachment to their heavenly father, the one that they were ultimately created for. If you're here today and you didn't come for a marriage talk and you came feeling lost in life, looking for your why, here's a why. God's put in your heart to be connected to your creator and he loves you. He sees you. He cares about you. And he wants to be attached to you regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done. And if you're here today and you're in a relationship and you've lost your way, God wants that why to be the thing that strengthens you and rejoins you and connects you into the oneness that He designed for you to experience. Let me pray for you. God, I pray today. I pray today for somebody who's here and they're wondering, they're wondering what the way forward is, what the path forward is what you have for them. God, I just pray today that, that they, would, they would hold up their hands and just ask you, God, why? Help me find a why. Help me find the right why to lead me in the right way. Pray for people who are in crisis, difficulty. Maybe you're watching on, they're watching online today. I pray you meet them where they are right now, that you'd speak to them, that they would know that they're not alone, that there's lots of people that deal with these same things, and there's people that wanna help and walk through them Walk with them through, the, through this season. God, I pray that we would be the church to each other and that you would help us to be the church to people who are walking difficult days in their relationships. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you're somebody, thank you for that. Somebody was like clapping. You don't have to, sorry, that was weird. Um, I cut you off, so thank you for that. Uh, If you're somebody who needs help, you're in crisis, don't wait till you're in crisis. By the way, if you need help or you're in crisis, um, I mean this genuinely, you can email me. Uh, email me. This is how we make a big church personal. You can email me. We have lots of opportunities. I'd like to point you in the right way, connect you to the right resources. We have counseling referrals. We have environments for marriage enrichment. We have two to one. If you're thinking about getting married or your relationship and you want some some good counsel, uh, we have that. You can email me at joel.thomas at buckheadchurch.org. Don't email me here, by the way, if you think the music's too loud or you have other complaints. um, That's not for here. For all other complaints, by the way, you can email andy.stanley at (laughs) northpoint.org. That would be great. Uh, Just kidding, Andy. Um, You guys, I'm so grateful for your kindness to my family and welcoming us here. Uh, I will be around, my wife and I are here this morning. We're gonna be walking around the hallways with our kiddos. Thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to seeing you guys back here next week at Buckhead Church. Have a great week.
0: Once again, thanks for listening.